welcome to AIJCast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Martha Ames Sanders. On this episode, part one of our conversation with Adam Mixon. Adam is a pastor, author, and poet, and he spoke with us from his home in Birmingham. Adam Mixon, welcome to AIJCast. What's up, Martha We've been talking about doing this for a while, and we've done a bunch of other stuff together, but (laughs) it's a privilege to be able to be with you and to actually have you on this side of the microphone and not just producing. Yeah, you see me spinning the dials a lot, not actually talking on the microphone, so this is good. I enjoy it. Yeah. And you and I have just great conversations anytime we get together, so. Yeah, so the world knows. I want to be the first to say it, that Marthame is not just a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Don't blow my rep. I mean, you know, I I, kind of coast on that rep of being a nerd. I'm okay with that. Nah, that is a facade. (laughs) This is one of the coolest dudes on the planet. (laughs) He's sneaking around undercover, right? Well, Adam, I know among... You are a multi-hyphenate. You are multi-talented. You wear many hats. One of them is being a pastor, of course, and that tends to become something that consumes identities for folk who are called into the pastorate. Another big part of it for you, though, is you are a writer, and you are a writer who writes uh, prose. You've published a number of books. You are also an author of poetry. So I would love to just hear you talk about that whole notion of finding a voice, because there's the voice of the preacher, right? You've got to find your preaching voice, but there's also the voice of the author, and I'm wondering if there's overlap between the two, if there's a distinction. Actually, over the last several years, I've kind of been transitioning toward what I'll call an undivided life. Mm. I think we're taught to compartmentalize, and that's important functionally because we all have different roles and responsibilities that we have to operate in. But there's always something of us that is more than those roles, more than that set of responsibilities. And I guess I've been focusing on the more. I mean, to me, there's, there's a healthy thing about having boundaries between some of those roles, right? Like we don't bring our family into the nitty gritty of dysfunctional systems that we're, we're necessarily part of. But that undivided life notion is beautiful because we're not divided people. We are entities. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't work from the compartment out. My assumption is that I am whole Mm -hmm. first Mm -hmm. and that I express myself in these different ways or I have to operate in these different roles as circumstance dictates, but I am not limited to that. Right, right. And there's something that I found that is freeing and reminding people that I am more Mm. than just a title. Yeah. I'm more than a pastor. I'm more than an engineer. I'm more than a father or a husband. I'm more, I am a, a human being. Yeah. A fully integrated, I'm eminently human. Right. Which means that I'm more than the sum of experience, the more yeah. more than just a collection of titles or whatever. And to me, that's freeing. Yeah. That's freeing. And I think the more that we can get to the place of embracing the more, again, the more faithful we can be in the particular. I'm starting to really just believe that the way that we've been taught to live is terribly just unnatural. Mm. We have carved ourselves up 
and crammed ourselves into spaces that don't suit us, mm. forced ourselves into pigeonholes, assumed roles, yeah. and then had roles that were imposed on us that aren't life-giving, that aren't freeing, that don't reflect well who we are or the gracious God who creates us. There's this tension, I think, in the Christian faith of like, you know, for I think about you as a pastor, God called you to be a pastor, God called Adam to be a pastor, mm-hmm. and you're not perfect, right? So there's this notion of we're working on ourselves, but perfect and whole aren't synonyms, right? Mm. So that compartmentalization isn't the same as saying we're works in progress. That's a different kind of thing. I don't think we resist enough this tendency to compartmentalize. It allows for too much duplicity and hypocrisy. Mm. I just don't think we are being genuine. And I don't think that wholeness is the same as what we have defined as perfection in the West. Wholeness or perfection in a biblical sense to me always speaks of maturity Mm. and of balance Mm. and not this flawlessness. I like that. I find myself more now than ever just pushing back against those things that I believe are limiting and that limit people or that force people into the realm of only particular types of expressions. Mm. And when it comes to um, church life, I find myself resisting how we define what worship is Mm. and how we express ourselves and how God operates through the uniqueness of our personality to reveal himself. And yeah, I just think we've been tricked or sold a bill of goods Mm. that often just stifles who God created us to be and in some ways is almost blasphemous. Mm. I mean, think about the uniqueness with which God created you, Mm. how deliberate he was in forming you uh, to be who you are and how much of your life has been spent resisting just that, (laughs) trying to Get along and be like and look like and talk like and live like everybody else, which means that you've spent a ridiculous amount of time and energy, a huge portion of your life and not becoming Mm. who God created you to be and robbing the world of that uniqueness and that beauty. And that difference. I'm curious what, I mean, that's such a layered thing. I wonder what role you think race plays in the midst of that, too. Because we're talking to this, you as an African-American, me as a white guy. Mm-hmm. Are those expectations different? I mean, we can talk about whiteness as the standard of the dominant culture. Right. But what I'm inclined to believe is that it is beyond whiteness. It is this Western way of seeing mm. and being that's very Greek, it's very Roman, Hmm. where the ideal is, in some ways, I think, just diametrically opposed to what I believe as a Christian. Hmm. Greek ideals of what it means to be human or good are not the same as what God says is good and what it means to be human. And we've conflated all of those things in the West like we do. Mm -hmm. You can get a Filipino taco, (laughs) right? 
<laughs> you, yeah, you've had Mexican pizza before, right? Right, yeah. Or chili spaghetti. I mean, I'm from the Midwest. And... With no apologies to any listeners in Cincinnati, <laughs> that chili is garbage. Look, I'm from there. I, I give you full permission to be able to... <laughs> so, again, we conflate these things that are really... If Americans have done anything, we know how to fuse some stuff together. We know how to attack some stuff together. And, and we just... Uh, I think it, it just kills us. It's soul crushing. Mm. And for those who are called to preach a gospel that liberates for us to live under such pressure, how many preachers, how many pastors live in this bubble mm. where they're confined? Some amazing artists, amazing poets, amazing designers I've met that are pastors, but they're afraid to share their work because right? they're afraid of how it will be received. They're afraid of the language that they might use, how it might be, you know, misconstrued. We are used to limiting our use of metaphors or mm. limiting the expanse of our imaginations. Or even the cultural language we use, right? Yeah. The films that we can talk about or the yeah. music. Can yeah, can I talk about Jesus and Cool Hand Luke or Jesus and the Green Mile? Can I talk about the Christ figure in those films and and not get looked at like I'm growing a horn out of the center of my head? Uh, I mean, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. We submit to so many limitations that, again, just stifle who God created us to be on purpose. And to be that's blasphemous, hmm. which you spend your whole life imitating and counterfeiting and hiding. And then you wonder why there's such distance? Mm. Why is it so hard for us to connect with other people? And I have to give you credit, Martha. You said something to me uh, a couple months back that stuck with me, and I've since passed it on to some other folks. When I published my first book of poetry, I was concerned that it was too personal. It was too specific. It was too particular, and people just wouldn't get it. Mm. And uh, I don't know if you were just had a, a moment of clarity and the Holy Spirit grabbed hold. I don't know what was going on there. But you said it's the most personal things that have the most universal yeah. appeal. Yeah, People connect with that. And to me, in my head, that is what comes from the heart goes to the heart. If yeah. it is authentic, people may not share the experience, but they identify with it. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. not absorbing and co-opting your experience but there is something about the realness of that experience that connects with people yeah it's the stuff that tries to go for least common denominator that tries to be popular that i think it may succeed in that regard but doesn't connect at the heart level it might connect on a commercial level it might play into those capitalist modes that we inhabit but not into the way of a person-to-person connect deep soulful Connection. Deep calls out to deep yeah, kind of stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. And part of this is also the fact that is intriguing to me is that you come into this world not as somebody steeped in the life of the church as a child, as a mm -hmm. young man. And so the expectations of this is what somebody who goes into this role steps into. I had perception shaped on me as an insider, right? Mm -hmm. But you, in a sense, had it as, as an outsider. Yeah, I had a caricature of okay, what yeah. it meant. In some as way. did I. There's an insider caricature too, right? Man, I had Flip Wilson. <laughs> now, now I should be gone for two weeks. 
the last 12 days of which will be spent in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Can I get an amen for Las Vegas? Amen for Las Vegas! I can tell y'all been there. Yeah. <laughs> I had this caricature of black preaching, or I had the archetype of black preacher. I had MLK. Mm-hmm. Either you're a prophet who's, you know, getting your head blown off, or right. you are this comedic character. In some ways, neither one of those archetypes are real. Wow. So I entered in kind of under that influence. And then some well-meaning church folks, you know, I was a young man, very young. So it was like, you need to do this. And in my tradition, it was a black suit, white shirt, black tie. You need to act at least 30 years your senior, wherever you go. So, and I was young. Mm. And even then I was kind of rebellious and I was like, I am not doing that. Wow. (laughs) Screw that. I'm not doing that. And I'm not going to disciple a bunch of kids to abandon their childhood so they could be like little grown people walking around following Jesus. No, Mm. follow Jesus where you are and Mm. in a way that makes sense to you regardless of your age. So yeah, I ruffled a couple of feathers or whatever. But I did over time in some ways bend to that overwhelming pressure all of us do it sure yeah even you rebel as you are yeah you're a little bit of a sellout you do what you got to do in order to make it sometimes (laughs) right that's all of us do it yeah we can't move through these world systems without picking up some of that film or some of that residue Mm. but half i think of the battle is being aware of it Mm. Mm. realizing that it's real and that it's something that we have to actively resist so that it doesn't consume us. Adam Mixon on AIJCast. We'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a quick word. As always, I encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, AIJCast.com, which is where you will find links to our artists as well as their news, information, and products. One of the things you'll find there right now are links to Adam's many thoughtful books. And of course, there's so much, much more. Also, as 2021 draws to a close, I would be remiss if I did not remind you that you can make donations to support the work of AIJCast. And you can find links to all of these things at our website, AIJCast.com. And now, back to more of our conversation with Adam Mixon. Our backgrounds in terms of denomination are very different too. I mean, you coming out of a Baptist background, a black Baptist church, me coming out of Presbyterian, white Presbyterianism, where for me, the assumption is that I would have a full-time job as a pastor and that would Mm. take care of all of my needs. The starting point for you, the assumption is in order to provide for your family, you're going to be bivocational, if not more. Yeah. And in my tradition, it's a rarity. Yeah. To talk about being a full-time pastor. Now, you might have been trained and educated for that job, but those jobs just simply don't exist for a bunch of reasons, racial, social, economic. The churches that are in our communities are notably more poor. We lack the endowments. We don't have all of that stuff that some of our white counterparts have. And so a decision has to be made. If you're righteously called if you're called for real to i could have become a presbyterian but you were righteously <laughs> Not, called and i say that kind of jokingly <laughs> i could there are things that i could have done in pursuit of money or mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. pension that nobody would have judged me for yeah 
But then at the same time, there are churches in the communities where I serve that deserve pastoral leadership and care. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that God has called me to. Mm -hmm. So you make a decision. If I have to tan leather and make tents so that I can do this work, then so be it. And as long as I'm healthy and capable and can balance and you're not asking me to put my family on an altar and sacrifice them, and I'll live and work alongside you. But again, also reminding you that I'm a human being just like you. I got to eat. I got to rest. I need time away. It's just a, a different way of being. Now, men who served before me in the congregation where I was, they had a different model. Hmm. That's not the model that I function with. Hmm. The ministry was deeply clergy-centered and authoritarian, and all roads led to the past. And quite frankly, I, it's not a healthy model, yeah. and it's not one that I embraced. And I didn't come in and turn the tables over and say, we ain't doing it like this. But it became apparent really quickly that if that's how we continued, then we wouldn't survive. Mm. So Mm. this idea of collaborative leadership, empowered laity, disciples who disciple, the third grader teaches the second, the second, the first, kind of that one room schoolhouse that a lot of my foremothers and forefathers went to where everybody is doing what they can where they are, using what they have. And at least for the last 21 years, God has allowed that to keep us healthy Mm. and resilient as a congregation. And I don't want to idealize it. It's tiring. Sure. It's hard. But any work that God calls us to is going to be fraught with challenges. And Mm. it's going to tax you mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Mm. But there is also the collateral blessing of peace, knowing that not only did you do the right thing, but you did it for the right reason. And God blesses and sustains it. It reminds me that, I mean, you and I are in a lot of conversations together in, in some groups, and particularly around the, the ministry collaboratives work and, and the podcast in particular. And one of the topics that comes up frequently is joy. And one of the things that I appreciate about the conversations that you and I are in is that joy is not a superficial characteristic. It's not a superficial goal. It's deep work that is bigger than happiness. It's bigger than material abundance. Mm -hmm. It's not even in the same room with that stuff. It's beyond this antithesis of unhappiness or it's not just the opposite of sorrow. Right. Or the absence of. Or the absence of sorrow. It's something rather that happens in light of and almost envelops. Mm. It's so powerful that in full light of suffering or pain, it refuses to concede. Mm -hmm. There's this stubborn type of persistent confidence that comes when we're in relationship with Jesus that doesn't close its eyes to pain, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. does not avoid suffering or deny its existence, but just kind of persists to be Mm. regardless Mm. of it. It's the stuff that just makes you get up and keep going no matter what Mm. it's expressed i think most authentically in this disinterested service right Mm. i'm always kind of like testing myself and interrogating my motives like why am i doing this wow why do i keep doing this and 
I find myself oftentimes not being able to find a good logical reason because I could be better served doing this, this, and this. It would be easier mm-hmm. if I did this, this, and this. It could be mm-hmm. more lucrative. This, this, this. It could be more. I could promote myself better if I did this, this, and this. Right. I could make up a whole list of reasons of doing something else. But I can't. What's apprehended me, yeah. it will not turn me loose, right? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, there's a case that it can't help it. It's like. <laughs> People will tell you, like, yo, you could be doing this or that. Why are you doing this? And all I can say is, you know what, this is where God has me for this season. And until there's some release from this by the Spirit, then you know what? I have to do this. It's like Paul, woe unto mm, me if I don't. Woe be to me. I was, I was it's exactly like, I got to do of. it. Yeah. And yeah, it looks like yeah. insanity. And. You know, sometimes people are like, what in the hell are you doing and why? You know, I haven't laid naked on my side. And, no, you haven't gone yeah. Old Testament prophet yeah, on but, us yet. But I know it looks like some ridiculousness. <laughs> but I would rather be doing what I was called to do mm. and it be hard mm. than to be someplace so-called successful and prosperous and have the sense that I'm outside of God's will. When you talk about the wholeness aspect of it and mm-hmm. the compartmentalization, I wonder what role being multivocational plays into that in the sense of it can create that sense of compartmentalization. You know, for you, you've got your mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. where you're in the corporate world, mm-hmm. right? And then you're in the church world. And that can pull us apart. Or I think the healthier place is to say, how can this fit together? How can this all be part of who Adam is? How can this all be part of who Marthame is? And I wonder what role that multivocational reality plays in either pulling us apart or causing us to want to be pulled back together. Yeah, I'll answer that in two ways. On the front side, I'll say that it keeps me free. Mm. There's a lot of preachers, pastors, and I'll say this as gently as I can, who are afraid. Oh, absolutely terrified they're afraid to tell the truth they're afraid to embrace with authenticity their convictions because it's going to cost them you know they could get ran out of town on the rail you know they could get shut down by their elders or run out by their deacons uh because they're beholden Mm -hmm. to those who are signing their checks right that is not a burden i've had to carry right I don't have to, these late night, you know, hand wringing sessions of whether or not I should violate my conscience and not speak to something or not say something because of I'm going to piss off the biggest donor or financial retributions. Yeah, all of that stuff. On the one hand, it frees me. You know, I can preach with a clear conscience and know that at least. And all my hypocrisy, I ain't doing it for a check. <laughs> right? I'm, not, I'm not doing it for money. And another way, there is a challenge. Because different roles, different responsibilities demand different talents. Sure. And there are different nuances in moving through what we call the church and what's out here mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. corporate environment or whatever job you have. There are nuances. But the character that's required of us does not change. Mm. Mm. So yeah, it's challenging trying to figure out how, how do I live out my faith practically 
in this work. But that's not impossible to do. If you remember that you're the same person and that your character must be the same. That's one of the reasons why I'm adamant about people saying, oh, what do you do? Or their daddy. I am just Adam. And I don't ever need to forget that. Yeah. Regardless of where I am or what mantle is being placed upon me, I have to be the same person. Right. Whether it's at work on Monday or in a pulpit on Sunday or in a data center on Wednesday in a kid's group on Thursday, I have to be the same person. Hmm. Otherwise, at some point, those seams are going to fray. Yeah. Trying yeah. to live in these little boxes, that's impossible to maintain. At some point, there's going to be a crack or a fissure. There's going to be. So maybe I lost and just gave up trying. Maybe somebody has mastered it over there. But I'm like, nah, that's too much energy. That's a waste of energy. I'm just going to try to be the same person. And thirdly, the benefit of that is is that I've been able to reach people who never come to my church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The executive who I reported to formally used to call me his pastor. Right. And I worked with a bunch of engineers, a bunch of analysts, smart people who, Mm -hmm. if they were going to believe in something, they had to be proven. They need data to back it up. Right. And over a series of about 12, 15 years, I watched all of these guys' lives turn. Yeah. Not in some... Billy Graham, walk the aisles, raise your head, pray this prayer. But that's the only kind that counts, right, Adam? That's another thing that gets me in trouble <laughs> with my evangelical Baptist roots. <laughs> right. That whole door knocking, if you die tonight, are you going to heaven or hell, bull, right. that we call evangelism. Butts in the seats, pennies in the collection plate. Adam Mixon on AIJCast. You can find him online at his website, adammixon, M-I-X-O-N, dot com. On our next episode, part two of our conversation with Adam Mixon. AIJCast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. As 2021 draws to a close, we do hope that you have appreciated our work this year. And if you are so moved, we would welcome your donation to support our work. So please take a moment, go to our website, AIJCast.com, and click on the link that says support. And we do love to be in the virtual spaces with you on the social media things. You can find us there on a multitude of platforms where our handle is AIJCast. Our theme music comes from our house band, Mard Fame. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by that one who is always almost approaching adulthood, Al Mudif, who has a very important announcement about yours truly. I want to be the first to say it, that Marthame is not just a nerd. And I'm your host, Marthame Sanders, encouraging you to create some beauty of your own. And remember that the world isn't truly beautiful until it's beautiful for all. Until next time, I leave you with justice and peace.